Hey, this is Richard. Before we start the show, I wanted to let you know that I will be at the new Microsoft Fabric Community Conference in Las Vegas, March 26th to 28th. If you want to get up to speed on everything Microsoft Fabric, go to azuredataconf.com and use the code RUNAS for a special discount. Now on with the show. From runasradio.com, you're listening to Run As Radio, the internet audio talk show for IT professionals with Richard Campbell. This is Brandon Wen announcing show number 912, the sysadmin in 2024. Run As Radio is produced each week by Sound Thoughts LLC. For more information, visit soundthoughtsllc.com. You can follow us on Twitter at twitter.com slash runasradio. Hi, this is Richard Campbell, and thanks for listening to Run As Radio. It's the end of the year again, and time for me to fly solo on a little bit of my thoughts about what 2024 is going to be like for sysadmins in this crazy, crazy world. I uh, grabbed a comment off of uh, last year's uh, end-of-year show being a sysadmin of 2023 that we published uh, around this time, December 28th, 2022. And one of the comments was from Jamie Terrell, who said, this was an awesome podcast. I can't believe I have not followed it before, and I'm looking forward to listening to more of the previous ones. Glad you're going back through the catalog there, Jamie. He also mentioned that he found out about the show through Windows Weekly, because, yeah, I've been uh, on board Windows Weekly now for a year, uh, because I just wasn't making enough podcasts. Yes, actually, it's because I enjoy harassing Paul and talking about Windows a fair bit, so it's not surprising those two things together. Uh, so, Jamie, a Run As Radio mug is on its way to you. And if you'd like a Run As Radio mug, write a comment on the website at runasradio.com or on LinkedIn or Facebook. I publish every show there. And if I read your comment from there, I'll send you a mug. Right. Where do we start? Well, I mean, we're still dealing with the hangover of the pa- post-pandemic times. Uh, I don't know how far away the pandemic is from you now. I'm still seeing, you know, people getting sick once in a while. Clearly the pandemic itself is over. The disease will never go away. You know, arguably H1N1 flu is a derivative of the pandemic flu from 1918. So, you know, welcome to another hundred years and uh, likely more vaccinations and the like. But, well, you know, we'll continue on. The real question is, what does your work look like now? And I've seen some surveying around these days for sysadmins asking about, how's your relationship with leadership? Because obviously, when we got into this crisis and businesses needed to function, the role of the sysadmin jumped up in importance. Everybody was reminded that we did important things. And so maybe we got a seat at the table, at least for a little while through the crisis, and helped reorganize companies. And obviously, our work never stopped. Our stress certainly didn't let off at all. Uh, We had to reinvent how our organizations did business in many cases. I'm just hoping that relationship is being maintained, that you're actually still in contact with leadership, have some kind of routine call, and have a better sense of how to 
communicate with them, to speak their language, to talk about return on investment and the value that the infrastructure we provide has and how spending a little on it could save long term, how we can become more efficient, make the business more profitable. Because all of those are certainly in the area of where we live as sysadmins. It's just often we don't think about that. And when you don't work on understanding your value and certainly letting others understand what your value is, it's easy to mistake us for janitors, you know, that we're just the folks to take out the trash and keep the room clean. And if we weren't there for a few weeks, nobody would notice. You know, it's not true. I don't know. That they know it's not true. So it's always good. You know, I mean, one way to do this would be to turn off a server because everybody notices you right away then, but it's not actually a good way to go about it. But routine communication about the role of your infrastructure up into the organization, about the mechanisms that we're using about the new initiatives just to put people back in view of the efforts that we have they're all pretty good another thing i found reviewing some of the surveys out there was that uh the great resignation that occurred in many parts of industry around the world coming out of the pandemic didn't seem to impact sysadmins much that most of us stayed where we are that relatively few folks moved around and uh, maybe it's because we like our jobs. Maybe it's just the devil you know. Uh, maybe there was just no reason to move. Like you were certainly feeling valued through the pandemic anyway. I hope you still are. I let off the show last year, this particular episode, talking about an economic crisis, which we had been menaced with repeatedly coming into 2023, that by the end of the year, things are going to get really tough. You saw the tech giants do layoffs. You saw a lot of companies pulling back. And I made the point then that it doesn't matter whether there's an economic downturn or not. The important part here is that when business leadership is afraid, they get more frugal. They pull back. They spend less. They, they want to bank for a, a rainy day, that kind of thing. And so there was very much this do more with less mentality. And that just doesn't seem to have subsided. And I'm not saying that our economics in the West are great or perfect in any stretch of imagination, but that big downturn they talked about in the fall didn't seem to come. You know, I made the point on Windows Weekly that the tech giants did all those layoffs and talked about being economically careful while just posting one quarter after the next of record income, record profits. And a lot of companies are in that same boat. They're all making money. It's interesting to see the pushback by workers now to try and get a little more of that distributed as wages as well. So that doesn't mean there isn't a problem with the economy. You know, maybe it, inflation is tamed now. Interest rates are certainly up, maybe too high. It does seem coming into 24 that we're going to have more of a reckoning around this. I don't expect rates to go back down to where they were, but maybe down a little. And just because inflation is tame doesn't mean prices have gone down. They have not, and they're not likely to. So we do need to bump up budgets and wages and so forth to make that a little more economically viable. And I'm not a, an economist by any stretch of the imagination, but I've dealt with these budget issues before, and I've dealt with inflation before. I've done this long enough to know that uh, you know, really, you're not going to see major price decreases. So it's more about being able to pay for the things you need and to live in the span that you've got. Uh, are we looking at something drastic in 22-4? I would really think it unlikely. Most economic signals are pretty strong. For better or worse, if you're in North America, and I'm a Canadian living next to the U.S., means every time the U.S. sneezes, I get a cold. 
It's an election year, and election years in the U.S. generally mean a fair bit of largesse on the spending side, which generally is pretty good for an economy. So uh, while I'm not expecting you to be able to get a lot of money out of system, uh, out of your budget and do a whole lot more, I am thinking there's no reason to clamp further down. But at that same time, make no mistake, and I really hope this skill improved over the past few years in this weird time, Understand the value of what you operate and how it affects the business. And then you can find places to do more. And also to be able to reach into the coffers and say, if we spend here, we save here or we make more there. Learning to speak finance will empower your career. There's no two ways about it. All right. Let's talk about my biggest blunder between last year and this year, which is when I wrapped up last year saying, you know, this AI thing isn't going to amount to much. They're mostly experimental projects, so I would backburner them, focus on stuff you know is going to have a return. Boy, oh boy. What a year, huh? I mean, uh, ChatGPT got released at the end of November, which was before I recorded that episode, but it hadn't really taken off yet. That really didn't happen until early in the new year. And then Microsoft went all in. And look, I'm not, a, and if you've listened to Windows Weekly, you know this. I am not a fan of the term artificial intelligence. A, it's 70 years old. It was coined in the 1950s. It's steeped in science fiction between HAL, Terminator, and everything in between. Nobody understands it. And when you say it, nobody knows what you mean, really. They all have implied terms, none of which are correct. Besides, you only use the term artificial intelligence when you have a technology that hasn't, doesn't work yet hasn't actually done anything. As soon as a technology from that space becomes useful, it gets a new name. It becomes image recognition or predictive analytics or large language models. And for better or worse, 2023 was saturated by this sprint towards utilizing large language models. Microsoft's leadership went all in. Uncle Satya told us, told his whole company, everybody build a co-pilot. It's important to remember that your, that term actually comes from the GitHub folks. GitHub Copilot came around a couple of years before, and it was a language model trained on code. And most developers I know that have used it seriously have gotten serious benefit from it. But I also think that it's different from the generalized large language models. The power of GitHub Copilot is that it is focused on a particular training set, code. And the developers come with a certain level of skill. They understand code more or less. The compiler gets a say. And so the impacts are a bit more managed and you can find some areas of benefit. There is a very creative side to writing code and having a tool that can help you get off the dime with it like GitHub Copilot is awesome. And clearly there's been some benefits there. But now we've got to face this within our organizations. It's almost certain, no matter who you are or where you are, unless you've already had serious policies put into place, and generally those serious policies are no chat GPT in the office, there's chat GPT in the office. And it behooves us to get on top of this, to get a good look and say, what is going on inside of our organization? How often is that being used? Knowing that it can leak data, that, that the average user has a tough time understanding that copying and pasting company secrets into a chat GPT window is hazardous to the business. 
We've talked about this already on Runes. I would reference episode 905, the one I did with Ulrika Hedlund, talking about large language models in business, where we're specifically talking about if your company's figuring out how to work with this, you're not just going to ban it because banning is bad. People will find workarounds. There are business savvy alternatives. And she brought up the Bing Chat Enterprise, which I'm sure the name will change because the name is terrible. But that is a business-centric, data-secure approach to a tool like ChatGPT, and it's still open AI under the hood. So there's certainly opportunities there. The big question I'm, we're sure many of us are to face in 2024 is M365 Copilot. I mean, I've heard rumors inside of Microsoft that there are literally hundreds of Copilots in prototype. All teams made something, and most of them are never going to surface to us. But let's face it. M365 is where the info worker lives. That's the email, that's the collaboration tools, that's the document system, that's the project management area. That's a tremendous amount of company knowledge living inside of M365. It is ripe to be utilized with a large language model to really provide some significant value. And Microsoft's put some guidelines around this. Right now they've said a m the minimum implementation of M365 Copilot is 300 seats. Now, if you're only a 300 seat company, that means the whole company implementing it at once. But if you're a 10,000 seat organization, your minimum pilot is going to be 300 seats as well. So you have to commit to a pretty big uh, impact and with roughly 30 US dollars per, you know, your mileage may vary. And it's a $10,000, nine, nine to $10,000 check per month you're writing just for the pilot. Now look, if you spend any time with large language models, you know that $30 a month, you don't, you only have to have one good outcome with a tool like this to save that kind of money, to make it make total sense. Like it looks like a large number on the front end, but when you think about productivity benefits, if it raises productivity by just a couple of percentage points, that $30 a month is irrelevant. But it's still a check to write. It's still something you have to fly back finance. You're not going to throw that on the credit card. And if people don't use it, it's a waste without a doubt. Why did Microsoft throw down that 300-seat limit? <sighs> I think it has to do with data set integrity. You're also signing up. Like, you've got to kind of apply. They want to instrument what you're doing there. Microsoft has concerns, too. They're trying to make sure that people have a good experience with this, that the tool doesn't go awry. I mean, we are talking about software that's not fully understood, even though it has functionality. And so it's still early days. There's a case for holding back. But I would argue that the biggest issue around M365 Copilot and most data-centric uh, large language models is the state of your data estate. I did a show with uh, with Carolina Ketakura uh, back at episode 895, where we talked about exactly this, getting ready for M365 Copilot. And we talked about it for a reason. If your data has been secure through obscurity, nothing's obscure to a large language model. It is going to troll through your whole network and find any data it can read. And if it hasn't got specific tagging around what it's allowed to look at, how it's supposed to look at it, and who it's supposed to show it to, well, you're going to find out. It's going to be showing things to people that it shouldn't show. And uh, that's going to be an interesting moment for everyone. So it is well worth your time to get serious around uh, your data security. This is one of those projects you always meant to do. Now we have a tool that's going to make sure uh, or certainly going to show you whether you've done it or not. 
Now, that's purely on the user side of the equation, the people we need to take care of, the systems we need to manage. What about for us, for sysadmins? Do large language models have a role? Well, I'll tell you that ChatGPTs or Bing Chat Enterprise of the world are remarkably good at writing corporate speak. So when you're in the middle of writing that angry email to someone for the next dumb thing that's driven you crazy, running it through an LLM to turn it into friendly corporate speak can be a relief and funny. But we re- when we talk about domains that we often need to be expert in and we don't have time to be expert in it, I think about things like security and Microsoft's announced security copilot still hasn't appeared. But I know that for most of us, we don't get to do security every day. It's one of the, we put the tinfoil hat on once in a while, you know, maybe once a month or once a quarter. And having a tool that would keep our checklists in mind and help us progress would be really powerful. And we're just still waiting for it to actually take it out for a spin because let's face it, bad security advice in some ways is worse than no security advice. So I'm hoping that tool is going to be great. But if you spend any time with some of the Azure advisors that exist inside of Azure, where it's already making suggestions to you about configuration and optimization based on utilization, this is begging for LLMs to significantly upgrade them. And you know what's happening. So I suspect they're just going to start appearing in our lives. And that being said, I'm publishing this show at the end of December, but coming in January, I have a show uh, specifically about a product called Atera. That'll be episode 916, so you'll hear it in January, which is a third-party product utilizing OpenAI to help with help desk and other sysadmin-related tasks using LLM. So it's coming, and you should be excited. These are huge opportunities for us. It's not like any of us are getting to the bottom of our to-do list. And with that, let's take a brief break for this very important message. Are your company's digital assets under constant threat from ransomware attacks? Introducing the solution you've been waiting for, the Netrics Policy Pack Least Privilege Manager. With Policy Pack's revolutionary Secure Run feature, you can now shield your business from ransomware attacks like never before. Secure Run ensures that only authorized applications run on your network, preventing malicious software from taking hold. Say goodbye to your fear of losing valuable data or paying hefty ransoms. Policy Pack's Secure Run feature locks down your systems, allowing only trusted applications to operate, keeping your sensitive information safe and secure. Don't leave your business vulnerable to ransomware attacks any longer. Choose Policy Pack Least Privilege Manager with Secure Run and fortify your digital defenses today. Take your first steps towards ransomware protection that works. Come to policypack.com to start a free trial. That's policypack.com. Policy Pack. Powerful data security made easy. And we're back. It's Ron As Radio. I'm Richard Campbell flying solo with my end of the year show on things I think we should all be thinking about as at least as sysadmins in 2024. Well, I just burned the first half of the show talking a fair bit about large language models, so I'm not going to talk about them anymore. In fact, a big reminder that it is only one of the many technologies that live under that artificial intelligence umbrella, and there are other important ones, other super useful ones, more mature, more capable. If there's a place for image recognition in your organization, you know, you should take a look at these tools. They're extraordinary, and they're not particularly expensive to use. I talked to one group of folks who started applying more image recognition technologies to the security cameras in the data centers. Uh, one of the questions they had was, are people, act- when we get a scan of a key to go through a door, 
is there actually a person going through the door? Is there more than one person going through the door? They were careful with PII, like they're not identifying individuals, but they are keeping records uh, based on image recognition of, yes, there was a person in the cage then. They entered this time, they left at that time, independent of what the door says. So, you know, these are tools that we could utilize. On the data analytics side, and I mean, I hit on this all of the time, and I hope some folks are actually taking advantage of, but I'm really excited to see what Microsoft's doing around Microsoft Fabric, because this looks like next generation data analytics and machine learning models play hugely into it, both to do better analysis and to use these tools to build data sets for making better machine learning models. So if you haven't put any cycles into Fabric, it comes out of the Power BI space and it's well worth your time. All right. We're getting through the show and I haven't talked about security yet. So let's talk about security because obviously security is top of mind in 2024. The situation seems to only be getting worse. The attack, there are more attackers. The attackers are more sophisticated. They are making money. Unfortunately, people are paying ransoms and often not getting good results from it. Uh, and cyber insurance rates are a great reflection of this. As you go to renew your cyber insurance policies, and I hope you're working with your CFO or whoever else is responsible for those policies, you're going to notice the rates are up again because the, the rate of use of these policies is in the double digits, more than 10%. And that's crazy. That's not how insurance is built. Insurance is built to have the vast majority nothing happens to. They all pay into a pool, pool so that the few can get results. And so, of course, rates are going to keep going up. There's too many successful attacks, and so there's been too many payouts. Multi-factor authentication is, is table stakes now. It's not even that big of a deal. If you don't have it, you don't get insurance. That's just a given. Uh, you know, uh, hopefully you're getting beyond SMS for MFA and into more authenticators, FIDO keys, and the like. I'm seeing most policies now with an extensive part of the policy around privileged access management, aka we can't live in system in accounts anymore. That there needs to be careful logging of when you uh, uh, went to a privileged account, what you did it, and when you came out. Uh, and one of the evil things you're seeing on the insurance side is they're finding reasons not to pay. If you're not compliant with the policy, they're not going to pay you. And they may or may not be diligent about letting you know that you're not qualified. So it's up to you to understand the policy. And if you're smart, third-party audit. You go in to get some of those other tools that are out there. Uh, because certainly the companies are using them, security scorecard, BitSight, and the like. These are all tools to help you understand how your security posture is and whether or not you're following the requirements for your cybersecurity policies. So it's well worth digging deep into that and giving some confidence. Hopefully you'll never need it. But I would remind you of that show we did a while ago, still a top 10 show, episode 790, responding to a ransomware attack with Dana Epp. Because Dana's been there. He has helped companies recover. And A, it takes way longer than you think. B, the damage to data is is always there. Like, you're never going to get everything back. There is no easy. The, the bad guys will tell you, just pay and you'll be fine. They're lying. They're bad guys. Recovering from a breach takes months. That's the bottom line. And so your best is to resist it and, the, and to just grapple with the reality if it goes badly for you. Uh Another interesting point, I was talking about, you know, cyber insurance refusing to pay out. They've also refused to pay out because your servers weren't current with patching. I did a show uh, in 2023 called Patching in 2023 with Sammy Leho, a episode 886, 
where we talked about this idea that MFA breaches or phishing breaches are now behind unpatched servers as the primary avenue of exploit. Now, we're careful about our patches because in the past we've had patches that have broken things. That makes people angry. And so you want to use your lab, do some testing, and that takes time. Meantime, your server is on there, out there unpatched. And Sammy made the point that most of the time when patches go bad, the recovery is pretty trivial. But recoveries from breaches are horrible. And so we're better off deploying the patches quickly to protect ourselves from a security perspective and then go back and deal with any potential issues here. But that's actually a business conversation. That's being able to look the boss in the eye and saying, I I know I can recover from a bad patch faster than we can cover for a breach. So I'm saying I'm going to patch quickly to protect us from breach risk in exchange for occasionally we're going to get a bad patch and there's going to be some outage and that should be okay. That is a business decision, essentially, to say we're going to take we're going to take a low risk out the, the chance of a low risk outage to avoid a high risk outage, which is fairly fair. Uh, but you got to have that conversation. Don't surprise people with this. And just at this, you know, I said this in the show with Sammy too. This is kind of good news that we're making things harder for the bad guys enough that they're changing tactics. And speaking of changes tactics, if you haven't been paying attention to the modern version of business email compromise, boy, those bad guys are getting smart. So we've got folks that are successfully breaking into systems, monitoring email, understanding how, getting to understand how payments are being made, and then modifying emails in flight to redirect payment information to their bank accounts. So that often nobody knows, nobody saw the change. All that happens is that X many time later, maybe 90 days later, when someone hasn't received their payment yet, they contact you back and say, where's my payment? You show them that you've paid. And if you're lucky, you'll dig in deep enough and realize, oh, it went to the wrong bank account. But by then, the bad guy's long gone. We need to be able to detect if we're breached. This is a set of tools that are complicated to employ. You know, we've talked about Sentinel on the show before, and I recommend more conversations around that. But seams are there for a reason. Folks are going at your email. And they're going to take advantage of it. But there's also a conversation about how do we secure payments? Can we stop emailing around PDFs? Can we not put banking information into unencrypted emails? Getting out of that practice and in general, just being more careful with how payment systems work is going to help us all around, irrespective of having a business email compromise in the process. One last aspect on security, and then we'll talk about more future stuff. The old supply chain attacks, uh, the big bursts of those were a few years ago, but they're still floating around out there. It's a great sandbox exercise to say what would happen if an important piece of software that our company depends on was attacked and said it wasn't safe to use. What are our alternatives? What are the workarounds? Like, What does that even look like? Just work through the scenarios on that. And if you've got internally built apps, often that depend on third-party libraries, whether open source or not, what happens when they get exploited? Do you know which of your apps depend on those things? Do you have a software bill of materials? Do you could even pull up a list and say, here are the here are bits of software that are at risk. These are the things that need to be fixed. Obviously, this is a conversation to have with enterprise architects because hopefully they're looking towards this too. But this falls firmly in the security space. And this is where breach detection would be important because 
where we've seen sophisticated supply chain breaches, it's because the black hats have broken into the development space in your organization and they're making alterations of code that nobody's noticing that then allow you with your trusted relationship with your customers to deploy software to them that has exploits in it. This has happened. Goodness knows I don't want it to ever happen to you, but it means you need to think about how we are sure about how our software is altered, that we're reviewing changes in detail. We have some confidence about it and that we are doing our own exploit tests on our own software so that we know where it's possible vulnerabilities are and perhaps can detect when malicious code has been added to it. But hopefully you can keep that code out in the first place. Software bill of materials, all of those tools are about cleaning up after the fact, but putting more defenses in front are going to help us as well. Okay, taking off the tinfoil hat, let's look at the problems we're going to have coming into 2024. Uh, we're going to have to start with Windows 10. So Microsoft's made it very clear that regular support for Windows 10 ends October of 2025. So we've got uh, 20 months, 21 months to get migrated, unless you're going to play for the extended support option. They are offering it without a doubt. Um, they're saying it will only be patches. It'll just be security patches if you pay for the ESU. There won't be any new features, which they've said before. It is rarely true. Are they going to bump out extended uh, regular support? I don't know. They've been positioning pretty hard. They also haven't told us how much ESU is going to cost. The expectation would be between $30 and $50 a seat. They're also giving us other options. I mean, the obvious option is upgrade to Windows 11, which two years ago I said would be a crazy thing to do because Windows 11 seemed like a very consumer-centric version of Windows, and it didn't work well. There wasn't a drop-in replacement from Windows 10, but it is now. The group policy over uh, mapping is pretty much solid. For the most part, you should be able to migrate almost anything from 10 to 11 without a huge deal. You can turn off some of the stuff you don't like, you could certainly dial Windows in 11 better than ever before. That's not the only alternative, obviously. You can pay for the ESU. You can upgrade to 11. Microsoft's also offering to provide Windows 365 cloud PCs. Those would be Windows 11 cloud PCs. And then you get ESU for free for your Windows 10 machines. Maybe they can't be upgraded to 11 because they don't have a TPM2 chip in it, for example. But then they're able to connect to the Windows 11 cloud PCs. So if you were looking and any of these cloud PC strategies, one of the excuses to dig into it is that you can leave Win 10 on those machines that you don't want to upgrade out of Win 10 and start putting workloads into the cloud PCs. Now, if you're not going to use the cloud PC option, obviously just pay for the ESU. But if the cloud PC option was something you were exploring, this looks like a good pilot for it. And we keep those machines on Win 10 for some time longer until the ESU changes, probably be in a year or two. Are we going to see a Windows 12? This is something we've debated a lot on Windows Weekly. I do think 2024 will be the year of, the, of that announcement of the next version of Windows. Is it going to be called 12? Probably. For another reason, that 12 is an inoffensive number. I mean, they skipped 9 because it conflicted with the 9Xs. So they went from 8 to 10. They'll skip 13 for superstitious reasons, I expect. So there's really no reason not to skip 12, to just use 12. And the question is, like, what would you want from a next version of Windows? And the likely thing is it'll be very copilot-centric, or at least large language model heavily integrated. Listen, we just went through a year of nonstop hype 
about LLMs. A few products are out there, but not much. And in small numbers, there's only bits and pieces there. 2024 is the year they got to get to work, that we start seeing things and can measure their productivity benefit, can understand how, how we'd roll them out, why we'd roll them out, the things that will actually work for us. So my expectations are pretty high for 24 around that. And I would expect that as that comes together, we're going to have a good picture about what the next operating system should look like. And that will likely be Windows 12. Will 12 be out in time to skip 11? Probably not, but you never know on that one. If they're going to announce it next year, it's going to be for shipping in late 25 or 26. So it's going to be tight as to whether or not you go straight across. And really, you'd be talking about an SP0 version of an operating system. I don't know how often you do that. You know, you got to stick with the mature versions that are more reliable. Uh, and I do have a show coming up in February with our friend Jeff Woolsey to talk about Windows Server vNext. He did a great talk at Ignite in the fall of 23, and I wanted to dig deeper with him on that. So that show is already in the can. You'll hear it in the next few weeks. So servers going on. And very if there's any theme I pulled out of it with Jeff, it's like, listen, hybrid is the normal. It is no, you, it's fine to have machines on-prem. That's not going away. Uh, it's fine to have them interacting with the machines in the cloud, have some workloads in the cloud as well. Hybrid is the normal environment, and they're getting into building server additions that are specifically around that. I hope you're keeping up okay. I know it's a lot. Uh, goodness knows I get to spend time just trying to sort this stuff out to help communicate it to you and to bring in great people to talk about the different elements of it. But you've also got a real job, not just listening to me, and so I know it's a challenge. And I think we're being pushed to transform things faster than we're comfortable with. It certainly started through the pandemic, but it doesn't seem to be easing off and it isn't likely to slow down all that much. And if you think you're stressed, take a look at the average information worker because their lives have been seriously disrupted. I hope we all have some time to be kind to the folks that are freaked out over all of this and do our best to provide good materials to help them understand what's happening next and be part of the right, the right practice. We passed 900 episodes this year for Run As. I'm keeping an eye on episode 1000, which will be right around the end of Windows 10. It'll be in the fall of 2025. And, uh, and if you've been listening to other podcasts, you know, sponsorship's definitely been a challenge. It's been a tough year uh, for everyone. It's been tough for me, too. If you know of companies that you think would work well with this audience that the sysadmin should know more about, I'd hope you'd steer my way or let me know. I'd happily reach out to them. And also, if you you know someone who ought to know more, you know, I, I listed off a few shows, that, this particular episode, ones that I think are good for sharing. Uh, I'm always on the lookout for new listeners, and I appreciate your help. If you think that those topics were important to you, want people to understand, maybe, you know, take that re recovery from a ransomware episode and share it with leadership. It's like, hey, have a listen to what it actually took to recover from ransomware. This is why we don't want to go down this path. You know, be prepared for it, but do our best to avoid it. Maybe spend some time and energy to solve it. I hope I can help you that way. And I hope you can help me too. I hope you have a great 2024. Drop me a note at info at runasradio.com or any of the social medias. I'm happy to chat. I read absolutely everything you write. And if I put it on the show, of course, I'll send you a Run As mug. And I hope to talk to you next time on Run As Radio.